Hello and welcome to Weird Wild World, a weekly series that takes a look at the power of nature. From natural disasters to rare and strange phenomena and everything in between, we will take a look at the wonder and weirdness of our planet. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about sinkholes and a very specific sinkhole known as the Great Blue Hole. And I know there's so many off-color jokes that can be made, but please try to keep it civil. There have been some massive, incredible sinkholes captured on camera before where it simply looks like the earth swallows up cars, trees, buildings, you name it. But how does this happen? Is it something to do with the ground there being weaker or there being a tectonic plate separating it? Well, I didn't have much of an idea, so I started with the USGS. The US Geological Survey's website and a fantastic source for these episodes to find out more. So let's get into it. According to their website, sinkholes are common where the rock below the land surface is limestone, carbonate rock, salt beds, or rocks that can naturally be dissolved by groundwater circulating through them. As the rock dissolves, spaces and caverns develop underground. Sinkholes are dramatic because the land usually stays intact for a while until the underground space just gets too big. If there is not enough support for the land above the spaces, then a sudden collapse of the land surface can occur. These collapses can be small or they can be huge and can occur where a house or road is on top. The most damage from sinkholes in the US tends to occur in Florida, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. There's a few different types of sinkholes, All of this can happen in different ways. For example, in disillusion sinkholes, rainwater and surface water can filter through joints in limestone or pre-existing openings in rocks, such as joints, fractures, and bedding planes. The water will carry debris like dissolved carbonate rock and a small depression in the ground gradually occurs. Larger debris might plug up these joints and the outflow, creating ponding water and wetlands. There's a pretty handy diagram on the USGS website that demonstrates this pretty well if you need more of a visual detail. Secondly, there's cover subsidence sinkholes. As USGS writes, Cover subsidence sinkholes tends to develop gradually where the covering sediments are permeable and contain sand. In areas where cover material is thicker or sediments contain more clay, cover subsidence sinkholes are relatively uncommon, are smaller and may go undetected for long periods. Granular sediments spall into secondary openings in the underlying carbonate rocks. A column of overlying sediments settles into the vacated spaces, a process termed piping. Dissolution and infilling continue, forming a noticeable depression in the land surface. The slow downward erosion eventually forms small surface depressions one inch to several feet in depth and diameter. 
So in extremely basic terms here, imagine you have a sandbox and the bottom layer is a bunch of stones. If there's cracks within those stones, obviously the sand is going to slowly filter through them and your sandbox will have depressions in it. A water saturated sand can actually behave a lot like quicksand in this case, though quicksand is an entirely separate episode. So we're not going there today. As for our third example, these are the ones that are most damaging and the ones you'll see on those terrifying sinkhole compilations on YouTube. Those are called cover collapse sinkholes. These can develop extremely abruptly, even over a period of just hours. This happens when covering sediments, what's on top of the carbonate bedrock is mostly clay. Over time, surface drainage, erosion, and deposition will cause a bowl-shaped depression. Again, there's a fantastic diagram on the USGS website that really shows the detail of how the sinkhole sort of happens from the inside out. It's as if the ground beneath slowly becomes hollow and eventually as the cavity migrates upwards, it breaches the surface above. Whether that's beneath a house, a car, on a road, the entire cavern beneath is released and opened to the world. Sinkholes can be human induced as well and a result from groundwater pumping. So in some cases, we're literally doing this to ourselves. When the land surface is changed, like when industrial runoff shortage ponds are created, this can trigger an underground collapse from all the new weight, which is a big yikes on trikes. But now that we know the basics of how sinkholes work, let's take a look at a few specific cases and how it is that they operate. And we'll start with the Great Blue Hole in Belize. Now, the Great Blue Hole is one of the largest, if not the current largest discovered underwater sinkhole that humans have found yet. Located 60 miles off the coast of Belize, it's over 300 meters or 984 feet across and 125 meters or 410 feet deep. As one source states, the sinkhole originally formed as a limestone cave during the last glacial period, a time when sea levels were much lower. As the ocean began to rise, the cave system flooded and eventually collapsed, creating a vertical cave in the ocean. As such, the site is popular among divers who flock to the area to see geological formations that now lie in the ocean's depths. It's possible to dive all year round. However, April to June is considered to be the prime time for better visibility and spotting whale sharks in the area. One diver, Jacques Cousteau, made the site famous in 1971 when he declared it one of the top 10 best diving sites in the world. Though it was Ted Middleton, a British diver and author that gave the hole its famous name. NASA even has some incredible photographs and information about the Great Blue Hole on their own website if you want to check it out. And that will be available with my sources. There's a photo of the Caribbean Sea where not only is the Lifehouse Reef by where the Great Blue Hole is located and visible, but so is the Great Blue Hole itself. So yeah, this thing is literally visible from the International Space Station. That's how massive this thing is. Obviously, the Great Blue Hole has deservedly become a massive tourist destination, and it is one of the top 10 reasons why you should visit Belize. Well, at least according to Belize.com anyway. 
Glenn Collinson, a NASA scientist who recently dived the Great Blue Hole, describes it as thus. It was the deepest deep blue hole imaginable, a chasm that fell away deep into the deep dark blue. It had been forged out of solid rock as caverns hundreds of thousands of years ago during the last ice age. For eons, water filtered through the rock and into these great stone cathedrals, breeding multicolored stalactites and stalagmites. Then one by one, they collapsed in on each other, creating a chasm 400 feet deep. As Earth's swollen polar ice caps receded, the warm Caribbean ocean swept in to fill the chasm with boiling white hands. The last rays of sunlight struck the chasm's floor. Then as the limestone broke down, it began to rain tiny fragments of rock, which slowly began to fill the great blue hole. Noted scuba diver Rick Fresi also stated that nothing else in the Western hemisphere even resembles a true coral atoll such as this area, except possibly Chinchorro Reef off Mexico's Southern Yucatan Peninsula. An atoll being a ring-shaped coral reef, island, or series of islets. Thanks to modern technology, just a couple years ago, submarines were able to complete a 3D map of the hole as well. Because of the hydrogen sulfide layer 300 feet down, it blocks out all light and leaves the bottom of the hole in complete and total darkness. The research team that did this sonar mapping, funnily enough, included Fabian Costo, the grandson of Jacques, who made the region famous. There's a one and a half hour special released by the Discovery Channel that documented the research team's investigation as well. And that was a fantastic watch as well. Funnily enough, one of them complains that it's too many rocks and there were no mermaids in the footage, which ruined the viewer's Christmas. That's an actual bad review that's available on Amazon. Uh, I don't know why it's not rated very well, but one review literally says that, that there was no mermaids, so the documentary sucked. But I did check out this video and I've got to say, none of you can ever complain about a bad pun I make ever again, because Fabian here says he's excited to follow in his grandfather's fin steps. I do think this might have served better as a post-production format because a very large portion of the video is cutscenes, minor interviews, as opposed to the great blue hole itself, but I can still appreciate it. Cousteau is talked about quite a bit as well, which is quite interesting. I always knew he had a massive impact on our understanding of the ocean, but I didn't realize just how much. Maybe he'll make for an interesting weird wild world episode in the future for you know such a legendary explorer, perhaps. Now, this isn't actually the only sinkhole in Belize, however, Belize it or not. And I'm not apologizing for that one, There's an island sinkhole 12 miles south of the city of Belmopan, simply known as the Blue Hole. And don't worry, Blue Hole, I still think you're great. It's within the St. Herman cave system and was formed when an underground river channel collapsed. Both of these places look incredible to visit, but like most topics we discuss here, just be safe if you do. Volcanoes, sinkholes, all that stuff makes for a beautiful location, but mother nature is just as dangerous as she is beautiful. Now, as for the largest sinkhole currently found in the world, at least on land, that honor goes to the Katara depression in Cairo, Egypt. 
There's a number of desert sinkholes in Egypt actually, though the area with low precipitation is typically considered unlikely. In this case, fierce winds can tear into slimy salt beds all the way down to the water table. According to one source, the vast Katara west of Cairo, Egypt is the largest natural sinkhole in the world, measuring 80 kilometers long by 120 kilometers wide. This dangerous sludge-filled quicksand pit is unearthly in its appearance and shocking in its size. The 133 meter deep sinkhole has been used in battle and more recently scientists have attempted to develop a $360 million project that would harness the Katara for complete energy independence. The plan would require digging a ditch from the edge of Katara to the Mediterranean and allowing the sink to slowly fill with water via a tunnel. Eventually, at least 160 years in the future, the new lake would rival Lake Erie's size. At that point, the heat of the desert would evaporate additional water flow. They're pretty sure it would anyway. But how cool is that? Egypt's largest sinkhole could actually be used to power the country at some point in the future. This sinkhole formed over thousands of years, but only in the past decade has this type of plan been proposed. A 50 mile tunnel would have been dug downhill from the Mediterranean, but it does seem technically possible. Jules Verne even proposed a similar project in a novel, Invasion of the Sea, all the way back in 1905. This once impossible sci-fi futuristic technology truly is coming to life before our eyes. Even if none of us listening to today's episode may ever be alive to see this come to fruition if the plan is actually used. In the westernmost area of this massive sinkhole, there is more than just sand, but an oasis that's become something of a little village. The oasis only has 19 buildings, almost half of which are mosques, but it has been declared an archeological site as there's signs of human habitation up to 4,000 years ago. The past 300 years, it's been cultivated and farmed. According to one source, the oasis and its harat, historic villages at the end of the oases, present a profile of the religious, domestic, and trading activities of the area. In the former Harat, there are a number of mosques, several residences, some featuring storage and living areas, three forts, a souk, a numerous plantations, many of which are still in operation. However, while some sinkholes like these are strange, amazing, and relatively harmless, others decide to swallow cities. Berezniki is known as the city swallowed by sinkholes. It's an industrial city with a population of about 150,000 built on top of a salt mine. Since the 80s, huge craters have ripped the soil apart, demolishing a school and houses alike. One report by Radio Free Europe read, in 2007, Berezniki's largest sinkhole sent shockwaves across the city. There was such panic. People who lived nearby moved their whole families to stay with relatives in other towns, recalls Valerie Metz, a Soviet Union war veteran and former miner in Berezniki. Metz is not at the center of a campaign calling for residents to be located. I don't know how deep it is, he said. Nobody has measured it. In 2016, Vladimir Putin asked Berezniki authorities for an explanation for the delay in building houses for threatened residents. 
As far as I can tell, people are still living there. And as of summer 2018, the city has 10 large sinkholes. Several dozen resident houses in the area are unfit to live in because of the damages. So why is this happening? Well, according to one source, Beresniki was formed out of several villages in 1932 to sustain the industry of salt extraction. Part of one of the biggest potash deposits today, the four mines of the city are both the life and death of the region. The company Ural Kaili that owns them is employing 15% of 145,000 Beresniki citizens today, but also destroying some of their houses. The first sinkhole appeared in 1986, but didn't impact the city due to its remote location. Apart from the sinking problem, Beresniki has to deal with its population loss too. The whole life of the city is organized around its resource extraction, making the foreseeable future unstable in the post-industrial era. Sinkholes are pretty common hazards in many regions, so here is no exception. Chasms that are hundreds of feet deep can open at a moment's notice. The entire city is under 24-hour surveillance. Even though scientists have successfully predicted the sinkholes, the chasms can open at incredible speed. According to a New York Times article, Miss Chekhova, an emergency services worker, watched a dark spot on her screen expand just as witnesses began calling an emergency service number for reporting sinkholes. They claimed to have heard a loud swooshing noise. Before noon that day, the sinkhole was 25 yards across. This article states that the problems especially worsened in late 2006, when a freshwater spring began flowing into the mine where potash fertilizer is extracted from salt lying 720 to 1500 feet below the surface. The problem is that the walls and pillars of salt that miners had left to support the ceilings of huge underground caverns began to dissolve. Imagine putting a sugar cube in a cup of tea. Mikhail I. Permikov, the chief land surveyor for Urikali, the company that owns the mine, said in an interview. That is what happened under Beresniki. Mining engineers first tried to maintain the supports by pumping in salt water, intending to raise the salinity of the flood water to the saturation point before the structure collapsed, but that did not work. After that, the local government adopted the policy in effect today of careful observation and early warning. Geologists, surveyors, and emergency personnel use a panoply of high technology monitors. These include the video surveillance system, seismic sensors, regular surveys, and satellite monitoring of the changes in altitude of roofs, sidewalks, and streets. Things like this have absolutely happened in the States as well. In 2016, more than 200 million gallons of contaminated water waste from a fertilizer plant in central Florida leaked into one of the state's main underground sources of drinking water. All this because a massive sinkhole opened up behind the storage pond. Mosaic, the world's largest supplier of phosphate, said the hole opened up beneath a pile of waste material called a gypsum stack. The 215 million gallon storage pond sat atop the waste mineral pile. The company said the sinkhole is about 45 feet in diameter. 
I've got no idea how possible or expensive it would be to put surveillance around these types of areas, like with the sinkholes in Beresniki, but when wastewater is this close to drinking water, I have to imagine it would have been cheaper for someone to come and give a heads up if something like this might happen. But no, we preferred the worst case scenario apparently. The wastewater is being recovered by pumping through on-site production wells and Mosaic claims to have an extensive monitoring system that indicates they're recovering the material. Again, I'm a little curious why this monitoring system wouldn't check to be sure this wouldn't happen in the first place, but it seems Mosaic isn't exactly known for worrying about the environment. CBS reported, The incident comes less than a year after Mosaic, one of the world's largest fertilizer makers, settled a massive federal environmental lawsuit with the US Environmental Protection Agency, in which the company agreed to nearly $2 billion in fixes, improvements, and cleanups at its plants. Since the 1960s, toxic solid waste from fertilizer production in Florida has been growing. Some stored in 500 foot tall piles that sometimes span more than 600 acres. Mosaic makes a common phosphorus based fertilizer, the production of which creates polluted water and solid waste. In 2004, during Hurricane Francis, 65 million gallons of polluted waste from a fertilizer plant were sent into waters near Tampa Bay, resulting in thousands of dead fish and other marine life. And in 1994, another sinkhole in Polk County opened, sending tons of waste from one of the company's waste piles into the earth. EPA found that Mosaic improperly handled its facilities, which posed a threat to the environment and human health. These violations led to last year's legal settlement and the company's public commitment to become more environmentally friendly. It's these specific kinds of sinkholes that I find especially worrying because of the pollution that's involved. Because yes, sinkholes are going to happen. There's no doubt about that because they are naturally occurring phenomena but hopefully industry practices will, you know, get a kick on it and step up so that, you know, we can try and prevent these matters and not exacerbate the sinkholes from appearing. And to close off the episode today, we're actually going to talk about an interesting find in ancient sinkholes in Italy. In 1991, a 33-foot deep sinkhole was found in Lamalunga Cave near Altamura and brought to the attention of the Altamura Center of Cave Research. A couple years later, the Altamura Man was discovered. The Altamura Man is one of the most complete and best preserved Neanderthal skeletons ever discovered. They used the rope to bring me down and many of my colleagues. For me, it was a totally amazing experience. When you get in that corner and you see the skeleton there, you're really blown away, said Jacopo Mogicecchi, a professor in the Department of Biology at the University of Florence. This individual must have fallen down a shaft. Maybe he didn't see the hole in the ground. We think he sat there and died, said Mogicecki. The original shaft he fell through is no longer there. It's been filled by sediment, so we are confident the entire skeleton is there. No animals could have got there. The Altamura man's skull is absolutely covered in limestone deposits, but based on photos, videoscope footage, and x-rays, scientists have learned quite a bit about him already. DNA evidence has confirmed that he lived 130,000 to 170,000 years ago, but other sources suggest 128,000 to 187,000 years. 
The point is he lived at least 100,000 years ago, so this discovery is absolutely nothing to scoff at. Some theories say he may have died outside the cave before being washed into it, while others say that he fell into the hole, injured himself, or was unable to climb out and then starved to death. So, hey, as dangerous as sinkholes might be, I guess you never know what may be waiting at the bottom. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of Weird Wild World. I hope you enjoyed learning about sinkholes today. And if you did, make sure you are liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. And if you want to connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure you check my description box where you will see my Linktree link, which gives you all of my social media links and all projects that I'm working on in one nice compiled list. So thank you all so much for making it to another episode of Weird Wild World. I love you all and I will see you in the next one. Bye.